Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Caitlin Thompson. She is a super advanced combo practitioner who served over 1,600 different clients. She specializes in Lyme disease, autoimmune conditions, and other chronic illnesses. She got into combo and psychedelics when she was battling her own struggles with chronic illness and Lyme disease, very similar to myself. Got a lot of relief out of that. And she is just one of the smartest, most intelligent, driven people in this entire psychedelic and combo space. She is just a wealth of knowledge, so sit back and enjoy the show. Caitlin, welcome to the show. So good to see you again. Likewise, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I figured since I had Todd on, I'll definitely uh, get you on like we were just chatting about because the, <laughs> the perspectives are definitely different. And I really don't think there's any like anyone's wrong or right. We're all just kind of doing what feels right to us in this uh, combo combo sphere that we're in here. This kind of weird medicine we've all stumbled upon and found benefits from. And 
I don't think uh, it, it's always great to just get the different perspectives on everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the the beautiful things about diversity is that it allows for just different like avenues of expression and, and variation of an experience or a style. And I like to say there's um, there's no right way to do combo, but there is a wrong way. Uh, if that, if that makes sense, like, you know, and guess basically what that means to me is that, you know, as long as there are certain standards of care, you know, prioritizing safety and, and well-being and ethics, um, the rest, you know, is really up to the creative expression of each practitioner, which I think is wonderful because different people gravitate towards different things. And it, it means that there is a practitioner for every person. So I think it's wonderful to um, have people share just different ideas so that we can, you know, keep creating a novelty and um, expressing ourselves authentically as, as spiritual artists. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I like that we're able to uh, kind of express ourselves in different ways. And there's just so many different people who will be called to different things like you know i have um there's a really experienced practitioner that like goes to the jungle and comes here and i've had a few people say that they didn't really like her but they liked my style and i feel like i, I didn't ask like what she did or didn't do because that's that's really on her and their experience over there but um you know i don't she may, may have not even done anything wrong it just might be like a vibe that they pick up or energetic kind of thing where they feel more comfortable over here or how I explain things, maybe. I mean, I just really don't know, but I think that people will need to just try out a few practitioners sometimes and see who they gravitate towards. Yeah, totally. You know, um, a woman with Lyme disease might benefit from a different experience than a, you know, combat veteran. So I think it's great that there's um, different practitioners out there that cater to the different needs and values of people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, kind of backtrack and give us a little background. I know you had some issues kind of growing up with chronic illness, and we can get into some of your uh, actual educational background and stuff like that. Why don't you kind of bring us up to speed on your background? Sure. Yeah. So um, I was actually born ill, but, you know, you don't realize um, if that's like your baseline, right? And like a lot of people with chronic illness, um even though like deep down I knew something was not right, I was like, it feels like it's not normal to like need to sleep 12 to 13 hours. Like even as a child, you know, I'd go to sleepovers and for some reason I just needed to sleep three hours longer than all my friends. Um, and so I always kind of knew that something wasn't right and, and could feel that I lacked like the resilience that other people around me had. And it wasn't actually really until I started exploring with Cambo that I um, realized how ill I had been for most of my life. And by that point, I was like 25 years old. <laughs> so I had spent a lot of time feeling like crap. And, uh, you know, once I started getting wise to this, uh, because the Cambo really helped me heal, and then I had contrast. I was, like, feeling better and then I was able to look back and be like, wow, I felt like garbage and I didn't even know I could feel like this. And that gap just continued to widen and widen as I, you know, did a bunch of healing work with combo and other modalities. But uh, later down the road, you know, I eventually, you know, identified sort of the terms that a doctor, you know, uh, would have prescribed 
uh, or diagnosed me as. And, you know, some of them I, I got a received official diagnosis. Others, I just didn't see the point in, um, you know, just going down the conventional rabbit hole just to receive a label. But, you know, Lyme disease was part of the equation. Um, chronic fatigue was like my main symptom that was difficult in my life. I also had a lot of pain, a lot of depression and anxiety and nervous system um, symptoms like neurological effects, skin issues, food sensitivities that I discovered around this time as well. Uh, and really there was just like a lot of inflammation and infections, immune dysfunction, malabsorption in my gut. Um, and at the end of the day, it was just one person who was all sorts of out of bounds. And that's something I like to remind people that you are not 10 different diseases. You're one person who's got, um, you know, out of balance. So that was, um, that was like really what accelerated my, my passion and my commitment to this medicine was my own healing journey with it. And still to this day, it's, it's a really amazing ally for me. You know, like there's still patterning that I work through and occasionally something will come and knock me down and, and I'll have like, you know, a slight relapse. Um, but luckily I, I do get back to center faster and faster as I, you know, know myself better and I gradually train my body to resist falling into old maladaptive patterns that make me sick. Um, and so I'm just really grateful that this medicine continues to support me in maintaining balance and, and staying healthy and getting healthy when I slip back a bit. And it's just so incredible to see how much it helps my clients. It's it's really why I continue to do this work and, and be dedicated to the cause is the miracles that I see over and over and over. Um, it makes it all worth it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And we have very similar kind of backgrounds. And I've spoke about it a little bit on the show where I, I had all these like I would bruise really easy and I had all these allergies and they did these allergy tests on me when I was younger. And I, like my mom had to change like all of the she didn't know anything about this shit, obviously. Right? I grew up in a very poor city. She just was like I was breaking out in hives and everything. And so she had to change like the uh, laundry detergent and like different things in the house. Like I was clearly already like chemical sensitive as a young kid. And mm. I would always have ear infections and they, uh, I had like two reconstructed eardrums and I just had all these like ear problems like that were crazy. And uh, you know, as I got older and then I started just kind of like using, like you started using psychedelics. I wish I could have figured that out. I was using like street drugs, this kind of mask my <laughs> symptoms like Vicodin and Adderall and cannabis and just anything that would kind of make me feel better. Cause looking back, I probably had tons of neuroinflammation already because the immune issues had probably progressed as I started partying in college and just like, you know, not taking care of my body. Like I always worked out, but I don't, I don't think that was enough because I was just a too immune compromised as, you know, just came out of the womb probably that way. And, always played sports and just thought, you know, whatever. I just, like you said, to be your baseline, you just think that's just it. You know, I'm going to sleep a little extra. I might feel a little shitty when I eat this food or that food, but you eat it anyways. Cause you don't know anything about that. And, um, it's interesting. So then once I, uh, you're kind of in the same boat, I kind of did some mushroom ceremonies and like, I felt better and I started to kind of realize like, you know, I don't think I feel good at all. Like, I think I actually feel like shit, like, you know, and I had, 
uh, moved across the country and kind of quit partying and everything and thought maybe that would feel better from that. And I just like didn't. And so kind of just started when you really feel shitty like that, you're almost willing to try anything, right? Like I'm doing coffee enemas and all these different <laughs> supplements. And then I like D Todd posting about combo. I think he might've been the first one. I was already following him because we were into some like biohacking and, you know, mm. saunas and stuff like that. And so I was like, there was a practitioner that drove over from Orlando to Tampa and I was like, okay, I, I didn't heal, but I was like, I feel a lot better from that. Actually, it kind of wiped me out because I didn't know I had Lyme. But like, you know, as you gradually kept doing it, it seemed like you get a little bit better, a little bit better. Wish I had known about the supplementation and stuff that we went through in your course back then. But I just didn't know. I was just trying anything and everything at that at that moment. But yeah, we have some similar kind of past with just growing up already kind of ill. So it's interesting. Yeah. And I find that actually that story is very similar for a lot of practitioners where, you know, they had chronic illness or, or some of these sort of immune related ailments and Kembo was just so effective. And that's why they are dedicated to serving this medicine. Yeah, it's really cool. So actually, before we get into combo, I want to hear some about how your psychedelic experiences were, because you kind of were getting into this into college as you were getting your bachelor's degree. So that's super <laughs> interesting because I was doing way too much alcohol and different drugs in comparison to what you were doing. Yeah, I actually feel very blessed to have uh, um, started with psychedelics early. Um, the first time I ever took really a drug other than weed, I smoked weed like mostly my senior year of high school, but... Then on in prom, my senior prom, I took ecstasy for the first time. And then about a month later, you know, I, I, I turned 18 at that point and I started going to raves. And so I was in the rave scene for a couple years, which, you know, obviously there's drug culture there. Um, but I actually, you know, I, I did find a lot of healing in being in the community of the rave scene and, and through these, um, these substances where I was, I was experiencing like ecstatic states and feelings of closeness and intimacy with other people in a way that I hadn't before, which was really beautiful and healing. Um, and then, you know, I, I sort of moved on to other psychedelics. LSD became my new favorite and, and mushrooms. And when I was 20, started smoking DMT and was really fascinated with that. And actually it was like DMT and, and ayahuasca where I started to really deepen my spiritual uh, relationship with psychedelics because prior to that, they they were like a part used in party settings. You know, they were still healing me. I just didn't have full awareness of that at the time. Um, but understanding the sort of role of DMT um, as this molecule that was like contained in pretty much every metabolizing like creature plants, animals, bacteria, um, it started to invite me to have a more like meta perspective of spirituality and, and God and life force. And by the time I was 21, I was heading down to Peru by myself and, and going to an ayahuasca retreat with a broken ankle, by the way, on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my ankle like five days before the trip. And, and it was the first time I'd ever like traveled internationally, really. And I went by myself, like looking back, I'm like, damn, I had some balls. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, it was really cool because I was, while well, my friends and my peers in college were going through these like 
binge drinking phases. I just completely skipped it. And I was going to Burning Man and I was doing ayahuasca and I was going down Mexico and eating San Pedro. And like, I was having these really rich, uh, educational experiences. And in a lot of ways, it was my, uh, passion about psychedelics that fueled my passion about science. So, you know, when I was in my undergrad as a, a biology major at SDSU, San Diego State, um, really it was my enthusiasm for wanting to understand how drugs worked in the brain that um, kept me, like, inspired to learn about organic chemistry and biochemistry and molecular biology and not so much like physics and calculus. That wasn't really exciting to me, but, you know, it was part of the curriculum. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, psychedelics, you know, even though I'm like full on the combo train these days, I do have a very rich, immersed history in psychedelic space, um, both personally and, and professionally as well. I used to, I used to, you know, work at conferences and speak at conferences and, and um, run the AWARE project in San Diego. So, it's kind of interesting to see how I've just full transitioned to, you know, being a combo girl now. Yeah. And it's obviously once you're in that realm, it seems like a natural transition that they kind of, the combo gets lumped in with these psychedelics, even though it's completely a, a different beast in and of itself. But it's like the people who have had psychedelic experience are, are also more open to doing combo, I think. And then you, then you get a lot of people who are just desperate on the other end as well. And then every once in a while, I get a person who's just completely healthy and he's like, I just want to try it. So then it's like, those are like few and far between. It's more so like you're kind of desperate or you've already had some psychedelic experiences and now you're kind of open to trying combo. Yeah, because combo is so fringe, right? Like even in the psychedelic community, it's fringe, which is wild, right? Um, and I always say, you know, you don't get burned and have frog poison rubbed into it and barf all over yourself because your life's going great, generally. <laughs> and so, yes, it, it tends to attract people that have some sort of um, imbalance or they are really desperate for results that other modalities or conventional practices have not delivered that. And um, because of that, you also get some very interesting individuals that are attracted to combo, including practitioners. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, it's it's interesting because I do feel like while, um, you know, doing the mushroom ceremonies and microdosing and all this stuff really helped me on like a deep kind of emotional baggage, like childhood trauma type stuff. Um, not having my father around and just growing up in a really poor city around not a lot of good role models and all that stuff and kind of really like reflecting on that and letting go of that. It didn't wasn't going to heal me in my chronic illness, but it I think the emotional part really helped because once you kind of release that baggage, now you're kind of like, OK, well, then how now how do I fix the physical part that's still going wrong? And I do tons of supplements and protocols I've done with doctors, but also um, the combo was always uh added benefit to that as well. And why do you think combo works so differently um, than like psychedelics as far as like physical manifestations? Yeah, good question. Um, first, I want to say I do think there is benefit to psychedelics for these chronic conditions. I've actually published a paper on it. Um, and, you know, there is there is evidence just molecularly that psychedelics can help with a number of the facets of chronic illness, such as inflammation and like vagal nerve, you know, the gut brain connection, things like that. 
But yeah, I'm with you. Um, combo just seems to be the more effective route for most people. And I think, you know, the unique sort of mechanism of the peptides and the combination of the different systems that they affect simultaneously, I think is really amazing and, and hits a lot of the core areas that have become dysfunctional and restores the body's ability to return back to homeostasis. I find that combo offers more of a, a customized healing process by not pushing anyone one direction or the other so much, but rather restoring the body's natural intelligence to self-regulate and to restore feedback mechanisms that have gone awry. Um, I do think also that while psychedelics are very useful for processing trauma and, and emotional content and stuff in the nervous system, I think sometimes psychedelics, they can kind of pull us out of our bodies, right? Um, and that can somewhat reinforce disassociation, which I think is a big problem already in people that have experienced trauma, um, which I find overlaps almost always with people that have developed these chronic illnesses. They, they usually have some element of trauma or like nervous system stress response dysfunction, which I believe is actually kind of the core um, insult that allows the, you know, infections and the food allergies and the other stuff to propagate. Um, but I think combo really helps people come back into their body. Like, you know, what's more uh, embodying than, you know, feeling your heart rate go up and your your hot flushing and, you know, the, the sheer discomfort that combo can bring, like the sensations are intense. It's so hard to disassociate from that. And so combo forces us to really come back into our bodies, to be embodied and to reconnect with um, our bodies, like, uh, which I think is a big part of the healing process because in a way I think these chronic symptoms can be our bodies screaming at us to pay attention to them and in creating a scenario where you have to choose self-love and self-nurturing to come out of it, to, to get out of its illness. And so in a way, I think it can be like, you know, from a spiritual perspective, it can be the body's way of like getting your attention and saying, hey, you need to start developing some ritual around prioritizing yourself and choosing yourself and asserting boundaries in relationships and your life. And um, that then will start to really shift the biological boundaries and, and the way that your physiology mirrors your emotional and spiritual states. I hope that makes sense. And yeah, I know that sounds like super woo, but um, I do think that, you know, consciousness is reflected in these microcosms and these macrocosm patterns like a fractal. And so our, our mentality, our mind state, our emotional being, I think it really makes a difference in the cascades of our physiology downstream. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do think that um, a lot of people are looking for 
uh, kind of the antidepressant effect that they'll get from psychedelics, but they're not really paying attention to like how their minerals are and how about their nutritional status is. And I think the psychedelic experiences like ayahuasca and like high dose mushrooms and stuff can actually probably most likely deplete you further because you, it is such, I mean, you are flooding the brain with uh, these chemical messengers and you're having a mystical experience, but you're already coming in in a very depleted state and that's a little rough on the body. So you might even deplete more minerals. I actually have an expert coming on the show to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But then I'm, in the contrast, like I think when you're doing combo, you're actually receiving more, you know, you're getting all of the peptides and the proteins and everything that's in combo. So you're actually receiving some benefits so you're actually kind of building yourself up on the inside and getting rid of some of the um, parasites and bacteria and candida and things as far as instead of kind of like getting this mystical experience but then feeling depleted for weeks after because you're already in such i mean once you have that inflammation and that chronic like system malfunction like you are just like burning through minerals you're burning through nutrition mm -hmm. you can't even absorb it if you are eating a lot of the good nutrition i mean so some of those states can be a little bit more depleting i think and then when you do combo you kind of build yourself back up a little bit more yeah absolutely um you know i've Myself, I've hurt myself um, by pushing too hard in psychedelic experiences because of that. You know, having all that neurotransmission and, and neural activity can create oxidative stress and, and, like you said, burns through minerals and vitamins and things like that and depletes you. And um, that can cause damage. And also psychedelics are very destabilizing, um, which is, you know, useful if you're stuck, right? If you need to, like, get you know, shaken up to get some perspective and space. Awesome. They're really useful for that. But um, sometimes there's, that's not the, the time and the place for it. And, <clears throat> you know, I do think combo can be used in a way that is also depleting, um, you know, which is part of why I practice the way that I do, uh, especially with people who do have deficiencies to begin with. But yes, I think when used correctly with certain populations that have chronic illness, I think combo can be more fortifying and more corrective, but like anything, you know, the difference between medicine and uh, poison is dosage, and I think that's part of the value of a skilled practitioner is that they have experience and in an intimate knowing of a, a substance, and they are equipped to guide you in finding that sweet spot where you get the maximum benefit and growth from the experience, which you know, includes challenge often, like, you know, you got to go to the gym and you got to challenge your muscles to grow stronger, but you don't want to overdo it because you can't hurt yourself and you can set yourself back in your healing process as well. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we touch on that kind of like the minimum effective dose? Because um, my original practitioner, honestly, he just let me choose. He was like, uh, you can do anywhere between three and nine points and being a fucking masochist like I am I was like all right just yeah I think I did like eight okay I, I did one under the max I was like okay and he had some potent medicine and and at the time I was uh didn't know I had Lyme or whatever so I was like pretty wiped out I ended up feeling benefits uh over time but uh, I was like wiped out so why don't you touch on like kind of the minimum effective dose how you how you do that yeah um well personally like while I I do think empowering the client is um, ideal. Uh, I think d things like dosage should be collaborative, especially because as the practitioner, you're the expert, 
right? They're paying you to be the authority because they show up. They don't, they don't know what a good dosage is. They haven't seen anyone go through combo. So I do think it has to be a collaboration, um, where, you know, the practitioner hears the needs of the client and applies their experience and knowledge to helping them choose, you know, a dosage that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of minimum effective dosage and I have arrived at that opinion by abusing myself with other medicines, truly. And, uh, I'm a big fan of also non-purgative microdoses. I think, you know, there's, there's different benefits to microdoses versus purgative doses. And to some extent, dosage does matter. Um, but once you get to a certain point, honestly, you just saturate the system and, mm-hmm you don't really get more benefit. And one, I think that's a a waste of a precious resource that is rare. And, you know, when you go to the jungle and you watch a, you know, a matze climb a 40-foot tree in the middle of the night to catch a frog, only to realize that frog doesn't even have any secretion, it makes you really appreciate how precious this medicine is. So that's one reason that I I like to be very conservative with medicine. Um, also, when you slam people, what I see is that it'll overwhelm people to a point that they will go into an unconscious contraction stress response, and they will basically brace themselves against the experience, which in my opinion blocks the benefit. I think actually the the most beautiful lesson that this medicine can bring is teaching us how to soften and allow and be in that more like yin feminine receiving space and and realizing that the only way through is to soften and that's a very useful skill when you apply it to the rest of your life because when you brace against things like you would in a in a very typical sympathetic nervous system stress response, which is basically a trauma response, there's a high cost to that. Um, like you said, like when, when your body's in a stress response, it blows through minerals. It's not thinking about the long term, right? So if you're an animal, you're running, you're getting chased by a lion, you go into a sympathetic nervous system response, your body's going to shut down reproductive function, digestion, and immune function because those are not priorities to surviving that two-minute experience running from the lion. Your body's going to prioritize blood to the muscles, making sure the heartbeat is providing oxygen to the muscles so that you can run. And it's the same for people that have, you know, trauma um, from their childhood or whatever. They're stuck in these chronic stress responses and I say that you cannot solve a problem with the same mentality that created the problem. And even though it can be attractive to someone who is already creating in a state where they are so familiar with um, self-abuse and discomfort because they've been in a stress response for 20 years or whatever, for them, they're going to gravitate towards getting punished and pounded into the ground because that's familiar to them. But it's actually counterproductive. And what they really need to heal is they actually have to teach their nervous system to let go of the contraction, to stop gripping so tight and to invite spaciousness into the experience. 
And I find that lower doses allow this more than higher doses because people are not so overwhelmed that they're able to actually focus on breathing through it and trusting the substance, trusting themselves and being present in the experience instead of just disassociating, checking out and trying to survive the experience, which I would argue reinforces traumatic patterning, which does not serve people in their healing. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people like, there's really no way, um, to know like exactly how much met some people can just tolerate more it seems like and i'd rather go lower on their first session and then like kind of gauge that and go listen if you don't purge a bunch or you barely purge at all at least we know now like what you can tolerate and what your system's willing to tolerate and you're still going to get all the peptide therapy from doing the three or four dots and then if you want to go up next time we'll go up a dot or two and you can kind of play with that as you go but if you've never done it, I have no idea. I could put three dots on you and you could go absolutely insane and think that it's the worst thing ever. So I'd rather kind of lowball it a little bit than to, and sometimes I do four or five on the first. It kind of just depends on the sticks that I have and who I got them from. Cause there's always that people don't re I try to explain that sometimes. Like if I get different sticks, I know ones are stronger than these other ones. So most people can handle a little bit more of these of certain sticks that I get in comparison to the other ones. So there's always like, all these little nuances I try to tell people, like you don't really know like where the people are getting the sticks from. Like as the practitioner, I know the strength of the different ones. And I usually try to microdose at least a point to kind of gauge out exactly how strong it is as well. So then I can get a better idea of like what I'm giving people before they come over as well. Yeah. You know, you could always add more, but you can't add less. And um, because there's so much variation in, not only the the frogs, you know, they're like us, they're individuals with di completely different chemistry, but also, you know, people are different in their genetics and their biochemistry. Even the same person can vary from day to day, depending on what they ate, how they feel, you know, what they've been doing. Um, and so there's just so much, like, so much uh, variety, and it's kind of like, impossible to standardize it right um which is you know part of what makes it difficult to study but there's a beauty in that because i feel like in some ways each stick or you know each experience there's a lot of like fate that happens in each experience because there are so many variables at play that are creating a perfect storm that creates a completely unique experience for each session yeah, I think I heard you talk about in another podcast that like even on the same stick, there could be like secretion from multiple frogs and you might see like part of a group reacts one way because they got like the top half of the stick. And then like <laughs> if the other part of the group gets the other half of the stick, they might all react in a different way. That's that was super interesting to me is thinking like, oh, wow, you I think you have this stick and it's just like all the same from one frog. But it's like very well could be like multiple different frogs on there and the secretion can be very, very different. Yeah, there's just no way to tell unless you're there collecting the secretion yourself. And and even then, um, there's some talk about that there's the different parts of the frog's body have different composition and potency of peptides. For example, the uh, body, like the torso of the frog, um, may not be as strong as the tibial skin uh, on the frog's back legs. 
which makes sense, like, from an evolutionary perspective. Like, you know, if you're escaping from a predator, the the last thing, the, the thing that you're most likely to get grabbed onto is your, your back legs, right? And so you're going to put your big guns there. Um, and that's part of actually what we're trying to explore at UCSD. I collected a bunch of samples of uh, frogs um, outside of Iquitos, Peru, and we separated samples of their bodies versus their their tibial glands on their legs to see if there's truth to that and if different parts of the frog's body do yield different types of peptides or compositions or ratios. Wow, that's super interesting. And I'm I know it's super hard to study, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with all the research that you're doing and everything. And uh, that's just going to be amazing. I know for the Lyme, because I really do think we're in the kind of in the same boat about Lyme, where I feel like it's just like a numerous of, it's just a diagnosis, but you just have a, a number of dysfunctions going on in the body and yeah. people really get wrapped up in this diagnosis. And I never really like, I barely even, I, I do say that I had Lyme because whatever, I got a specific diagnosis and, um, and some people, I guess maybe that'll give them like strength. If I do say like, oh, you know, I'm overcoming Lyme. I feel a lot better. I only have a couple little symptoms left. So it's, I, I guess me saying that I had Lyme is trying to help people like in their power and feel like they can yeah. kind of overcome something. Cause if I never bring it up then they never know like exactly what I overcame and I use a lot of different modalities, but, um, It'll be cool to see other research because a lot of people, I don't know why they, they don't really want to like talk about a lot of anecdotal stuff. They want to see a white paper on everything. And I'm like, there's, there's no money behind all the good stuff. Like, you know, anything with a white paper usually has some form of funding. So someone on the back end can make a bunch of money off of it. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's a big challenge. Like I've published two papers now, um, on combo and you know both of them I just did for free because it was fun I actually used money out of my pocket to pay for open access publication it's like a thousand bucks to publish stuff and uh, you know luckily the study I'm in the middle of now is funded but it's funded by a random crypto millionaire that I became friends with in Bali who was really <laughs> inspired to support and had like too much money and, and wants to use it for these um, these charitable uh, projects or, or research or whatever, just to like make the world a better place. So I got really lucky. Um, and it's, it's great that that's the funding. It's like completely altruistic. So there's no agenda. There's no, I don't have to please anybody with certain results or feel pressure or anything like that. But, um, you know, now that I'm working with UCSD, um, we don't have funding yet, but we're, you know, we're in the early stages and eventually, the goal is to like get grants and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of challenges with studying this medicine because it is so complex and it's, it's hard to recreate that magic synthetically, which is what, uh, the medical model really is, caters to is like these very standardized, you know, single ingredient drugs, which I don't think it's going to work. So yeah, it's it's a lot of a uh, fun to try to overcome all this, and it requires a lot of creativity in, in problem solving and stuff. But I like it; it gives me something, it gives me a bone to chew on. Yeah, that's great. Me and Todd kind of talked about that, and I was like, you know, we always try to use a reductionist model and kind of simplify it and say this peptide works for this. So how do we synthesize it? And I was like, 
what like what if it's just meant to all work synergistically and you just have to purge and you just have to go through it and that's just is what it is it'd be cool for like some older people who might be a little bit more frail who can't handle it to maybe be able to take a pill but there's like so much different stuff inside of the secretion that we don't even really know about that i just wonder like it's probably just all synergistic at the end of the day yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, cannabis is, like, a good example of this, too. Or even, like, psilocybin, they've been talking about it more and more um, as far as the, the entourage effects, right? And how it's not just about psilocybin. It's not just about THC. It, there's, like, such an array of molecules that have a very complex interaction. And I mean, I imagine, like, if you look at a community of people, it's not just about one person. It's like how they fit into this complex dynamic in a community. And I don't see why that would be any different with with molecules and compounds in plants and animals. Yeah, no, 100%. It's I, The reductionist model works. And I mean, it does work. We extract and we look at vitamin B1 or B12 and we see like what it does. And, you know, it does help to kind of be able to dose people with certain things, but there is like something super as com complex as some of these plant compounds. I think are, there's a synergistic effect that we don't really know about. 100%. And, you know, I'm glad that we have an empirical method of science that helps us critically, you know, study things. I think it's very valuable, but there's obviously limitations to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the combo experience. I know like when I talk to Todd, he's not really like super ceremonial. He's kind of down to the science. I think he has like a big Christian community he's working in. So I don't think he's really like uh, doing a lot of like spiritual stuff around it. It's kind of just like, here's the combo. I mean, I haven't seen a session. I want to actually drive up there and have him do a session on me one day and just see what his practice looks like now that he lives in Florida. But um, so what is your I know you like the ceremonial aspect. So why don't we dive into why you think ceremony is good and like what your ceremony looks like? Yeah, um, I think that intentional ritual is incredibly powerful. And I feel that combining that with medicines like combo um, can yield better results for people. And, you know, just just to set the 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 record straight, there's really not any ceremonial tradition with this medicine. And, you know, I think sometimes people can get into this, like, sort of traditional superiority or elitism complex, uh, especially with, with other medicines like ayahuasca and things, which there is rich traditional ceremony, which has value and there's wisdom in it. Kampo is not, that's not really the case. And, you know, you go to the jungle and it's like way more casual there's not really even someone to help you. You just like crawl to the hole to, to have diarrhea. And it's like, there's no songs. There's, you know, the Matsis have no music, musicality really in their tradition at all. Um, and of course there's, there's other tribes that use the medicine. And so a lot of the ritual and ceremonial aspects is made up in the last couple of decades. Even if it's an indigenous person, even if it's, in the Amazon, it's still made up. And it's made up primarily for white people because white people are into that. So I just want to, like, set the record <laughs> straight that, you know, when people get snotty and they're like, well, are you doing it the traditional way? I'm like, the traditional way, you're not wearing your white outfits. You don't have sage. You don't even have a toilet, okay? Um, so I think it's just important to understand that. Um, but that being said, I think there's so much value to – 
creating a ritualistic container. And for my ceremonies, like a big part of the focus of the the ritualism is um, helping that person articulate and witness themselves create the intention and the action to fuel that intention in tapping into their own empowerment and realizing that their consciousness and, and their self is really most of the medicine here and that um, through their own choice and their desire to move through an experience with a goal and an intention that they are creating their own reality. And so, you know, even though, of course, I bring in elements of, you know, prayers to the frog and, and calling in, you know, ancestors and guides and, and protecting the space and things like that, like, at the end of the day, there is so much power to the placebo effect, right? And that's not, I'm not using that term to minimize the value of it. It's actually the placebo effect is like largely ignored and dismissed as this obstacle in science. Like, oh, how annoying we have to do a placebo group and a treatment group because there's this weird phenomenon that happens. Like, God, what, what an annoying inconvenience. But actually, it's like, whoa, if the, if someone decides to like act in a way that is like, um, in alignment with a desire to heal, that's actually doing something like, holy shit. And so it's taking that same energy and like technology where consciousness is, is healing you, um, and applying that to, I don't know, like targeting where you want that uh, magic energy to go in your life and in your body, I think is really freaking awesome. And so to me, I see the ceremonial aspect as a, a modern innovation to this practice, which I think overall adds more value. Um, and especially it's more, it's more fitting for the, vast majority of the populations that are consuming the substance at this point, which is primarily Westerners. Um, and you know, it's a whole, it's a whole nother argument about like whether that's okay or not. But the reality is it's, it's left the Amazon, it's spreading, it's in pretty much every country or most countries. And you know, there's a lot of, um, non-indigenous Amazonian people that are using this medicine and they have very different lifestyles and needs than an Amazonian person. And because of that, I think that adaptations like adding the ritual and other safety precautions and drinking water, I think are more appropriate for the context of who is primarily taking the medicine in, in the masses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I think that, you know, if you look at some of these tribes, do they really need ceremony around combo? Their life is a ceremony. Like everything to them, like they're singing songs they're building fires they're in community. Like they're doing so many things that we're not like, we're just working 60 hours a week. We're on TV. We're drinking at night. Like to yeah. take a break for a couple hours and be super intentional and have something that feels sacred and empowering and spiritual and connecting. I think that it's just, 
it's so left out in, in our community. And it is a really good reason to bring someone kind of back into their body and back into their consciousness. And I'm super with you. I use the sage and um, all the, you know, ayahuasca style combo music, which I like that in my ceremony. Like I like those songs. Like when I have the medicine on and I'm hearing those songs, like my wife thinks the same way. She's like, those songs feel like powerful when you're, when you have the medicine on. And it's weird because you know, you feel that when you're in psychedelic states, but like you're in a whole different state, but combo, you're like in your body going through it. And the the message and the song still feels really powerful. And then the smell of the sage or the copal and all the different things that um, you're working with. However, you know, maybe some instruments or whatever. I haven't gotten into many drums or rattles yet, but I'm thinking about buying a, buying a few things. Do you use any instruments in your ceremony? Yeah, so I'm pretty much singing the entire time, um, and sort of at the end, I'll play ukulele and sing, you know, once I'm, I know I can, like, have my hands on the instrument, and they're, like, cool and laying down, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think music is great, I think practitioners bringing their voice in is great, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to sing, some, some people don't want to sing, and that's fine, but I think, you know, having that sort of medicine music is really awesome, and, Really, at the end of the day, it's like creating a space that feels safe and inviting and soothing to your client. And that's going to help them like derive more out of the experience. And at the end of the day, I don't care what language you sing songs in. I don't I don't care if you play system of a down, you know, like whatever does it for you um, is awesome. It's really about just curating the environment. Um, so that people feel comfortable and inspired and, and that they have these tools like, you know, Sage or Palo Santo or, or a song that help keep them present. I think it's really about tools that keep them present so they don't just disassociate and disconnect from the experience and the opportunities to consciously navigate the experience with intention. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's super hard to kind of disassociate when you have combo on because it's so uncomfortable, but yeah. people do it still. That's like they they get right up um, after the ceremony and it's like they're like, I'll pick up my kid. I got to go like work on it. Like what? I had this yeah. guy who works like 60, 70 hours a week. He's like, will I be able to work afterwards? I'm like, I, I really can't call it like, but I think you should block your day off. Like you should kind of try to like you know, interpret what happened, integrate anything, just give yourself a day to chill. Like people thinking like, I'm going to bust the ceremony out an hour and a half and just like get yeah. right back into the bam, office. Bam. Thank you, man. <laughs> so leave it, leave it up to Westerners to try to get right back to making some money or jumping on a call or whatever. I think it's kind of insane. So we've actually, um, I started adding, uh, my wife does Reiki and so we're starting to do that afterwards, which we like because it makes people block off like another half hour, hour uh -huh. to just kind of lay there, receive some Reiki, integrate a little bit more instead of like right back on social media or to their phone or their family yeah. or whatever. And so um, that's going to be cool to see how that plays out for people to kind of chill, hang out at the house for a while, be on the bed, just receiving and integrating a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's so important. And you know, I tell my clients the same thing. I'm like, just go and lay in bed and stare at the wall and see what comes up. And <laughs> something I often say is that, you know, powerful messages are sometimes received as whispers. And just make sure that you're 
you're listening and, and you're not crowding out your life with noise because you might miss the benefit and then you might go through all that intense purging and, and discomfort for nothing. So, you know, do it right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm always like, dude, take a nap. Like you just went, like your body just killed off, purged parasites, like, you know, got an immune boost. Like a lot of shit just happened in that ceremony. Like yeah. schedule a nap, like, fuck, you don't have to go right back into the office and right back into your thing. And, you know, I'll do it for whatever. However, if they like the, the day is yours, I'm not going to like, you right. know, parent you, but I'm just kind of like, you should integrate a little bit. And definitely I like a good nap after combo usually. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, at the end of the day, like you can, um, provide suggestions and recommendations and guidance, but it is their responsibility and you cannot do the work for them. So, you know, you just have to be unattached to whether people fall through and, and just do your job, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I know you have a lot of, you have some of the most experience out of anyone that I know. What are some of the most benefits that you see from people who are uh, coming to use combo from you? Yeah, I mean, definitely there's tremendous amounts of physical benefits. Um, you know, there's usually like immediate changes in pain for those that have chronic pain. Um, definitely, I see there's an antimicrobial element. I personally have a lot of experience with that, especially living in Indonesia where everything is trying to kill you and, and getting two full sleeve tattoos in Indonesia, which was like every day I was battling infections and, and putting microdoses on and stuff. But, um, there is definitely a potent antimicrobial effect, you know, whether that's a direct effect from certain peptides like the dermaceptins, it's unclear. I don't know if there's enough content of the dermaceptins to actually have like a potent antimicrobial effect, but um, I think what's more likely is that there is this immune regulating and, and upregulating effect where your own immune system gets, you know, kind of comes online and is able to address infections, you know, both acute and chronic more effectively. Um, also, I, you know, there's a lot of spiritual benefit, like I think there's major vagal nerve um, changes, and there is some research that hints at that in rats, which I find really fascinating. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know people's whole nervous system changes, and and they can kind of come back into a more balanced state if they have been stuck in a stress response. They can come back into a parasympathetic response. And we see that in the session with like the yawning um, and, you know, sometimes people get drowsy and things like that. You know, the opioid peptides, they do bring the nervous system into this like relaxation response. And I see that people have these, these breakthroughs and these realizations and they feel spaciousness to look at their choices and how they might be self-sabotaging um, and, and making a change. They feel that they have more resilience and courage to make changes. Um, they feel more love for themselves, like all sorts of things. Like it's, it can look so many different ways, but um, it always delivers what that person needs. And sometimes that can actually look like chaos and disorientation, which is important to be informed of that being a possibility too. Like you do combo and suddenly 
you know, the, the delusion that your psyche was holding in place to protect you from the painfulness of reality becomes completely disrupted. And you can no longer deny that you don't want to be in a partnership or you hate your job and it's, it's degrading your soul or you want to move somewhere else or like whatever it is, like people can have these like radical, um, just realizations that their life is not working and they have the like that warrior sort of resilience um to make radical changes that they weren't able to bring themselves to do prior i call it bulldozing your cottage to build a castle um and and of course i see people's uh energy and immune function you know improve that have things like chronic illnesses or chronic infections and things like that. So I've also seen people's gastrointestinal issues improve substantially. Um, I've seen a lot of hormonal changes for women. I've had a few clients get pregnant like immediately after one session, um, including, including a friend of mine who had been trying to get pregnant for like six, seven years with their partner and Kind of gave up, um, and at the age of 45, did combo one time with me, and within the next few weeks, I think, got pregnant and delivered a healthy child um, at the age of 46. So I see a lot of uh, positive effects for women's reproductive health um, and hormone balancing. Sometimes that means they'll they'll actually like bleed and menstruate like right after the ceremony and like reset hormones and or they'll notice that the the next cycle they didn't have like their their usual PMS symptoms and discomforts or the cramping was less uncomfortable etc uh so I like I said I just see miracle after miracle and in my practice I've never seen anyone's life get worse that doesn't mean it can't happen I've heard of other people, especially with very fragile health, getting worse after practices that, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't do personally. Um, but in my specific practice, I've only seen good things come for people. Um, at the least, they feel nothing comes for them. But I think that's more a function of them being a little disconnected from their body and their, and their awareness. Uh, but I but objectively, I still see that they're having benefits, even if they can't really articulate and recognize them. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm in the same boat. Do you do you think kind of how uh, I think Todd spoke about this or maybe we talked about it off air, but uh, some people who don't purge or don't see some of the benefits, they're kind of like um, that type A personality, like real, real kind of um, not not able to surrender or let let the medicine do its work because they're kind of like always want to be in control. Do you see that? come into play in your ceremonies? Oh yeah. I would say 95% of the time when someone is having difficulty purging, it's a psychological thing. And the reason I know that is because sometimes I can guide them through like a visualization experience or like in a trying to disentangle the contraction and they'll purge <clears throat> or I'll they'll, they'll get distracted something will happen, I'll drop something, and suddenly they're not focused on fighting it, and the purge will come. Or as soon as I say, okay, I'm going to take your points off, they think that they're done, and they've made it, and they're off the hook, and then they start purging, and they, they let go of holding it. And so because of that, 
I see most of the time a lack of purging is um, it's it's a mental thing. Now that doesn't mean it's always that way. Sometimes you get medicine that's not very strong or they don't have a very high dose for their body or on occasion people just have like physiology that is not super conducive to purging. That's a thing too. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits to purging, but I don't, you know, if somebody's like, if I see that I've kind of done all the tricks in the book and it would be, it would apply pressure to them for me to keep encouraging them to purge, then I'll let it go. Um, unless there's a safety concern. If I've seen that someone has consumed a bunch of water, I will require them to purge before leaving, even if it's manually, you know, with their fingers. But most often, like, if they're not purging, I go, okay, whatever, Um, you know. And sometimes if people don't purge in the ceremony, they will go home and get sick. And usually I know if if that's going to be the case with somebody, you know, sometimes I'll have people fight me and they'll refuse to let me put additional points on or their points will get wiped off and they won't let me reapply and they're stuck in the middle. And I say, okay, as long as you understand, you're probably going to get sick when you go home. And they do. Um, so, it, yeah, purging in itself and knowing, like, when to encourage it versus just to allow it to not be present, it's an art form and it requires, like, experience in really knowing the medicine and um, understanding when a purge is being inhibited because of a mental state versus when it's just not necessary for that individual. Um I think that did that answer your question? I forget if there's another part to that. <laughs> no, that was good. What so what are some of your favorite kind of you kind of mentioned like maybe adding some more points, but what are do what do you usually do if someone's having trouble purging to help facilitate that? Yeah, so actually I think a lot of what I do to help my clients purge is before I even put the combo on, I I guide them in practices that help them develop skills of letting go, allowing, and not being contracted. So for me, the way that I set up my sort of sequence of events in a ceremony, you know, I open with a prayer and intention setting, and then I do rape, and then I do sananga. And in those experiences with those two medicines prior, we are working on building skills that they can apply to the combo to move through it more gracefully. And I think it helps substantially. It helps them settle into the space. It helps them relax. And it helps them practice um, letting go. And so a lot of times I don't have to do too much. And I think because of that sequence of events, I use very low doses. Like I almost never put more than three points on someone in their first ceremony. And I almost really never go above seven points in my practice in general. Like almost never. Um And so I find that, you know, doing that to prepare people is the best way to encourage them to purge. But I will predominantly, predominantly encourage them through skillful guidance, um, inviting them to check in with themselves, inviting them to ask themselves with honesty if they're holding things in, if there's anything they're afraid of letting go of, even if it's unconscious, because they might not know who they'll be without it. So I always try with my words first. And if I think it's a dosage thing, 
then I'll increase the dosage. But if someone is like sweating their tits off and they're like passing out and they're using the toilet and their face is swollen and they're drooling on themselves, it's not an issue of dosage, right? And so it's, it's having the experience to identify if what that person needs is more medicine or do they need skillful counsel to help them let go and, and stop fighting the experience and creating unnecessary suffering for themselves. That's interesting. And so do you wipe off the dots and just apply new ones? Is that how that looks when you're doing more medicine? No, I'll, I'll burn more points unless there's already gates open to apply. Oh, yeah. interesting. So you'll burn extra gates right during the ceremony. Seems like it could be a little tricky while they're going through it. It, it can be, you know, when I, with my, all my first timers, um, I burn three gates and then I'll do the test point. And honestly, probably half the people I do not end up with all three points on. Um, and so, yes, they have gates that are like ready to go just in case. But the other times, you know, once they come for their second, third, whatever, uh, generally we kind of have a, an idea of their sensitivity and they have some experience now. They've built some confidence. They have skills. And so, you know, we just decide how many points we put them all on. Um, but rarely do I add more. It's, it's, it's a rare thing. Um, and it's usually in like that random first timer where three wasn't enough. And I'm like, all right, I think you need five because you have some like crazy genes or chemistry that's unique. But I almost never have to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's interesting what you said about Sananga because um, I used to use the Hape and the Sananga both before. And then after talking to Todd, I started using the Sananga after. But I've had a couple people who I felt like should have purged and had trouble. So I wonder if that Sananga does kind of help them kind of loosen up, kind of be more open and facilitate the purge when used beforehand. Because I had a girl who purged really easy off three dots, which that, that session she did the Sananga beforehand. And then I started trying it. I was like, oh, well, people have been liking it afterwards, which it does feel good afterwards because it kind of like brings you back to reality. But I, but she had trouble purging when even though we went up a point. So I'm wondering if but the Sananga from the first session helped her to purge easier. I don't know. That's been my experience. And, you know, there's a reason that I think this is like a recipe for success. And that's why I stick with that. Doesn't mean it's the right way, you know, like, I think it's awesome, again, to have different styles of experimenting and, and different things happen because of, of these different ways. But for me, um, you know, I, I use a lot less medicine in my practice, and it's very consistent feedback to me that people who have sat with others, they'll be like, yeah, I did seven points, I did nine points, and they come to me, and they do like two or three, and they're like, that was way stronger than when I did seven points with this other person. And, you know, I don't know why exactly. I think part of it could be perhaps the Rape and the Sananga actually have some chemical augmentation um, that makes the combo more potent. Perhaps it's that they help people psychologically um, be in a space that allows the medicine to be more potent. Maybe it has to do with the container I hold. That's a bit egoic for me to assume that, but you know, it's <laughs> it's something I wonder sometimes. Like maybe I'm just really good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But I'm a big fan of of the Rapi and the Sananga. 
Yeah, so maybe I'll go back to doing that beforehand because that's how I liked to do it. But then I uh, just I just recently, after talking to Todd, started doing it after with some people. And they like it because, like I said, it helps them kind of come back into their body afterwards. But um, I did have a couple people who I thought should have purged off the medicine that I gave them. So maybe I'll go back to using it beforehand and see if I get back to having some better results. I also have been running this frequency program on my house that I uh, had them on my podcast called Quantum Upgrade. And Todd thinks that there's potential that it may have neutralized my sticks a little bit because of the frequencies mm. on my household. So there's could be an aspect of that, or it could be maybe just the Sananga, not beforehand. I'm not really sure. But, you know, playing with all these new technologies and things, there's potential that I, I neutralize my sticks a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, just keep experimenting. I My practice does evolve over the years, and I'll be like, I'm going to try this thing and see how it goes, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to – and it's fun because it's, you know, you don't want to do the same thing every day for years and years and years. It's You're an evolving being too, and it's um, it's fun to change your ceremonies and refine them and experiment. Yeah, I've, like I've been adding in um, a grounding mat. Like I'm, I'm, I have my grounding mat underneath my practice here. And Todd likes to do like a PEMF or a grounding thing because, you know, if people are grounded, they're a little bit, uh, you know, once you're in that more uh, parasympathetic state, you're going to potentially, if like, you know, just thinking about it, like you would be more willing to let go of the toxins instead of being in the more hypersensitive, like stressed out state. So there's, you know, I've been playing with that in my um, like one-on-one -on -one ceremonies and different things like that too. So kind of adding in a little technology. Yeah, I I think it's cool. And there's, there's so many tools that people can get creative and combine with combo. And, you know, as long as they have synergy and aren't dangerous combinations, I think it um, there's so much room for creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, since you were we were talking about uh, Rape and Sananga, do you have a favorite like blend of Rape that you think works best with combo ceremonies, or do you just kind of play around with different ones? You know, I have a bunch of different blends, and actually I will choose a specific blend for a specific ceremony based on just like intuition and, and what I feel that that particular group or individual needs. Um, I mean, of course, I'm a I'm a fan of the Nunu just because it is a traditional matze blend, and I I have experience making Nunu, and I get Nunu from you know tribes I have relationships with that I go and stay in their villages. So you know, there's a little more special connection there. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's you know rape is like like cooking recipes there's so many of them and i don't even know what's in half of them most of them all of them um so yeah it's just you know another fun thing to play with yeah there's so many blends that's why i asked and i've been using the one that todd recommended i can't i can't even remember the name of the blend actually right now i'd have to look it back up on the website but uh I guess it's like one where like the mother of the tribe like makes it on a full moon during ayahuasca ceremony but it's super super oh. grounding which I think is kind of like what you're like, if you're just looking for a hop, a ceremony, maybe you can do a more like uplifting one, but for combo to kind of help people get rid of the anxiety and the nervousness. Like I think a more like motherly feminine grounding one really serves a better purpose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. What about, um, frequency? I know it probably, uh, varies from chronic ill patients to regular patients, but what do you, what have you seen with is like the best frequency for people to use combo? Yeah, it's it's hard to just come up with a cookie cutter answer for that because one every individual's 
physiology is different, and two, um, everyone's goal is different, right? So it just kind of depends on where you're trying to get. And, um, you know, for, for someone that has like a chronic illness um, or like a chronic infection, right? I, I guess I can really only speak on my experience. Um, for me, uh, there was a few years where I found that like once a month, uh, purgative applications were really helpful. And so it's probably like maybe the first year, year and a half where that was the frequency for myself. And then I started um, kind of just naturally going more like eight weeks between sessions and then like quarterly, you know, three months between sessions. And so the healthier I got, the less frequently I really needed the medicine to maintain. And and at this point in my life, I actually, I use it very little. Um, I, you know, I went a whole year without doing a full purgative session and was only doing a lot of microdosing, mostly just to manage infections in Indonesia for various things. Um, and nowadays, honestly, I really only do the purgative stuff when I'm out in the jungle with the matzes. I'll do like four in like a week and then I come home and I don't touch it again for the next six months and then I go back. So uh, that journey looks different for each person. Um, in my clients, I always recommend that they consider doing, you know, three sessions within a 30 to 60 day period. You know, for I would consider an aggressive approach to be three sessions like spaced out a week apart. I think that would be kind of the minimum for someone who's um, very ill because they need time to detox and to recover because it can take a week for someone to recover from combo. That's how long it took me my first time. I was, I was like really, you know, down and out for a week. Um, and then it got shorter each time, um, which to me indicated that it was like overall improving my baseline and, and progressive. Um, so it's going to look different for people. Some people might want to do a series and then, transition to microdosing as maintenance and maybe they do that once a week maybe they do that once a month maybe they do purgative session once a year or once every three months for maintenance or maybe they like really feel connected to this medicine like I did and they're like no I'm gonna do this once a month because it's like really helping um so it kind of just depends like and also, where do you want to be with your health? Where do you feel is possible to be? And if you feel better and you're like, cool, this is good enough. I've made it. I'm happy with this. Awesome. If you're like, no, I want to see how resilient, how strong, how energized. Like, I want to see how much I can grow my capacity as a human being or as an athlete or as a leader or whatever. Um, and so you might want to push harder and, and explore new boundaries of what you're capable of physically. And that was definitely the case for me is I was like, well, how far does this go? I, I, I'm continuing to exceed my expectations of what I ever felt I, I could feel or what I knew was possible to feel like. I want to see how good it could be. So that's what's driven me to continue using it um, and to strive for a peak quality of life. But that's not necessarily what everyone else wants. They might just want to not um, 
you know, have rashes or not be in pain or like have slightly more energy so that they can like continue to like deal with their job or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I was kind of the same way when I was super ill. I was like, how often can I do it? And I was doing 20 points at a time and just really just like, all right, I'm going to go through it because I kept feeling a little bit better. And then there was two reasons I kind of slowed off. One, I didn't want to have to do, burn myself 20 times. So I wanted my kind of like tolerance to go down, but also I felt a little bit better. So I was like less called to it. And then uh, Todd and talking to you kind of got me into micro dosing. So I was like, well, I can just do this every once in a while and get some peptides in. And now I can, I'm still, I feel like I can handle it quite well. Like I'll still do like eight points, but I mean, at least it's not 20, like 20 was a bit much just to like sit there and it, you know, how much it costs. It doesn't cost a whole bunch, but then it's like, if you're doing it every month, it's like, okay, now I'm doing 20 points and you got to burn yourself 20 times every month. So you look like people stop you <laughs> on the street looking at your arm. Like, why do you have 60 scabs like on, <laughs> on your arm? So it's like super interesting. But yeah, I think that as you kind of build the baseline and kind of they become more back to like homeostasis that you'll, you'll just kind of energetically feel that you don't need it as often. And I always give people like a, like a recommendation like that. Like, you know, if you're really dealing with something, you might need to do it a few times more often and then just like kind of see how you feel. And if you're just kind of overall looking to feel a little bit better, just call me when you feel like the peptides have wore off or like you feel like you you need to get back or you just want to do another ceremony to kind of, you know, expand consciousness or whatever it is that you're looking for. But just kind of give them a guideline and let them feel it out. Totally. I think it's really about like, um, empowering your clients to connect with their own intuition and letting them know that like you don't have the answers for them that they have to come up with the answers for themselves and uh, you know you guide them through that first maybe series of three so that they can become connected to the essence of combo and then after that it's you know they're connected and and they have all the power to feel uh, when it's time to reconnect. So I, I'm really like about just empowering other people and not trying to tell them what's right or wrong for them, but rather, you know, informed consents and, and sharing recommendations and suggestions, but also listening to them and, and encouraging them and teaching them to listen to themselves. It's like a lost art, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, super empowering. I think um, people don't really know how to listen to the messages from their body. It's like so many people, like my wife asked me, she's like, you know, because we've had both had our health illnesses, she had breast implants, and I had Lyme. So we've been kind of both on our healing journey the last few years. And she's like, do you think like everyone just feels like crap and they think it's normal? I'm like, yes, I actually, I, I the more I get into like the health space and yeah. like realizing how people eat and what they do. And it's like, no, I think that their baseline is so low. And I don't know if they chalk it up to this is just my body or this is just like coming with age and whatever it is, whatever story they tell themselves, it's, it's, it's actually false. And they just have a very low baseline and bringing someone back into their body and kind of educating them on like, just listen to the signals, listen to when you need it, try to, you know, listen to how you, your body, when you eat a piece of bread or you drink milk or whatever, like try to just pay attention to, to those signals. And it's, you, you're right. It's a lost art. Yeah, and, and that's like a big part of what I try to, how I work with people with chronic illness. It's not about necessarily telling them what to do. It's about like helping them cultivate those skills of listening because, you know, everybody's 
blueprint of a journey looks different and I actually don't have the answer. I only have guidance. And so it's, it's ultimately up to them to figure it out for themselves and, and they have to listen. Yeah. Cause I, I, that's why I'm trying to do more than just the combo. I kind of want to have my one foot in the spiritual kind of woo woo, like realm that I think helps. And then also like, you know, with the supplementation and the testing, like I had a lady reach out to me, uh, as like a, she was, got referred by somebody and I talked to her for like 30 minutes and she was seeing like three different doctors and this and that. And I was like, honestly, it just sounds like your house has mold and combo <laughs> will help with mold, but you should probably, if you have mold in your house, you're just going to come do combo and then go back into your house that has mold. She had the mold people come out and her entire house was full of mold. And then she oh, never no. did combo. She just got her house uh, fog and remedi remediated for mold. And I was fine with that. I'm like, I just, I knew that the symptoms she was having, because so, so, I lived in a moldy place for a while too. So I know kind of like the cues to pick up on. And if you're seeing all these doctors and stuff's not working, it's probably more inner environmental. She had like three different functional doctors she was seeing like neuro functional neuro practitioner and a functional this and a functional that and i'm like listen something's wrong in your house and you know I, I lost the client really but for me i just knew that the combo probably wasn't going to work if she had mold in her house because that's when i first started doing combo i was living in a moldy house so i knew i had to get out of there so i guess just my experience i'd rather just like you know, work with people in whatever capacity they're at in whatever way and not just say, oh, combo's here for a cure-all for you. But I, you know, do a little bit of a deeper intake with certain people. Yeah, totally. And at the end of the day, it's important for us to remember, like, what our goal is in doing this type of work, and it's to help people. And if helping someone means telling them, actually, you really don't need to hire me. Here's what you probably <laughs> should do. Awesome. Like, I'm always, you know, I don't need to work just to work. I want to make sure that, you know, what I'm doing is providing value. And it's not about just, you know, getting paid. Yeah, no, 100%. It's like, you know, I don't plan to get rich off of this. I just think this stuff really <laughs> works and it's fun and it's great. And I love doing it. So I have no issue with uh, continuing the practice for sure. Um, I want to kind of switch over uh, gears to some of the supplementation that we learned about in your uh, Lyme and autoimmune program, because I've actually incorporated some of those and they actually do work. So what kind of supplementation are you recommending for people who do have the chronic illness? Yeah. So first of all, these are supplements that honestly, I would just recommend to people that have chronic illness regardless. Like there are things that you can take daily um, and, you know, you can take them leading up to a combo ceremony, you can take them after, like you can just take them. Um, but I do find that they are particularly helpful in mitigating some of the uncomfortable effects of like the Herxheimer effect and, and all the detox that's happening and the die off and um, cytokines being released and things like that that are, you know, pretty common for people and can be uncomfortable. So um, i trying to remember what they are, actually. Uh, one of them, which I think is one of my favorite molecules lately, it's called palmitol ethylanolamide. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, <laughs> it's PEA for short, and it's a fatty acid amide naturally occurring in the human body, um, and it acts as like this potent anti-inflammatory agent, especially in the nervous system. And it's also a mast cell stabilizer. So, um, you know, often people that have these immune dysfunction related diseases, they have like mast cell activation and mast cells are a type of immune cell that 
are kind of responsible for deciding if uh, an immune response needs to be launched. And so they'll they'll um, secrete things like histamine and other like cytokines and stuff to tell your body like, hey, you need to attack this thing. And so when people are having like food sensitivities or they have like gut infections, things like that, oftentimes the, the mast cells can go a little bit wonky and um, start just like launching these immune responses all the time, every time you eat anything, even if it's like a safe food. So this substance can can like quell the mast cell activation and help them stabilize. And also something that's interesting about it is it seems to affect the endocannabinoid system and augments the effect of your natural endogenous cannabinoid type molecules like anandamide, for example. So it's part of why it's so effective for like nerve pain um, in a similar way as cannabis but obviously there's not any, you know, it's not like an inebriating, you don't get high, right? Um, but it is still working with the endocannabinoid system, which is pretty cool. And, um, you know, it's, it's really good for like healing the gut and stuff. But yes, for as far as like mitigating the Herxheimer effect, that one can be really helpful, especially because like pain and inflammation and like immune reactivity can be part of um, what happens after a Kembo experience for someone that's sensitive, and also just using minerals, like high-quality bioavailable minerals, I think, is really important. Um, things like zinc, magnesium, um, chromium, selenium, uh, boron, um, molybdenum, things like that. And part of the reason, well, they're important for a lot of different reasons. And honestly, anyone that's having chronic illness issues should probably be supplementing with minerals. I'll take that back. Anybody should be supplementing with minerals because your food does not have them anymore. The soil is like fucked. So, uh, but as far as why that's something useful for post combo, um, you know, we get these heavy metals that our body holds on to, our tissues hold on to. And what people don't realize is actually a lot of the reason why we accumulate heavy metals is because we're mineral deficient and these metals are convenient substitutions for these minerals that play important parts in the enzymatic reactions and like chemical equations in our body. So for example, um, if we're like deficient in zinc or whatever, body's like, well, we got to like keep this show going. Like, do we have any, uh, do, do we have any like mercury around or like iron? Like, can, can we just fit something that's like kind of electromagnetically similar enough that we can like make this shit happen. And so when you resource the body with really high quality minerals, then it'll actually displace heavy metals because they're like, oh yeah, we got the good shit now. We don't need that. We don't need this crap, you know, heavy metals to do our, our stuff. And so that's another important supplement. Uh, fish oil or, or omega-3 fatty acids, which I think are probably more ideal from an animal source you know unfortunately there are algae sources and, and flax and things like that but they do have slightly different ratios of the different omega-3s but um omega-3s are really important because they are precursors to mo molecules that are important for terminating inflammatory cascades so part of a trend you see in people with chronic illness is that their inflammation like is activated and it's not like 
coming down. It's it's just running rampant, trains running off the tracks. And so having fatty acids um, can really support the body in being able to make the compounds that regulate and quell these inflammatory cascades that happen. Um, you know, there was a time where I was also recommending N-acetylcysteine. I'm a little bit on the fence about that now. I'm still kind of deciding because of some recent papers that have come out about how that might actually facilitate metals being redistributed into different tissues and stuff. So I'm on pause for recommending that at the moment. Um, and sarsaparilla is another useful one. So um, sarsaparilla is an herb that is known to be useful in detoxification. And it has been studied for its ability to sort of chelate out both heavy metals and also um, LPS. So LPS stands for lipopolysaccharide, and it's a component of the outside membrane of certain bacteria. And this molecule is toxic, basically. And so what often happens is when bacteria die because of of, of you know Herxheimer effects, you know because there's been an intervention, or just because they eventually die and they're just you know there's a bunch of them. Um, if you have a leaky gut and your gut barrier is compromised, this LPS fragments will leak into the bloodstream, and the body will recognize that there's this foreign substance that it associates with a bacteria. And it's like, whoa, 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 we got a blood infection. This is not okay. And suddenly your body's launching this inflammatory immune response because it detects that something has made it into the blood that's not supposed to be there. And that's a big part of leaky gut is you start getting food fragments that, you know, proteins and stuff that leak into the bloodstream. And your body's like, ah, you know, banana proteins, enemy, bacteria, enemy, dairy proteins, enemy, like... And your body's freaking out and developing all these immune responses to, like, foods and stuff that you're just eating and are leaking into your blood. Uh, anyways, not to go off on a tangent too much, but, um, <laughs> you know, so sarsaparilla um, can help bind to LPS fragments and help escort them out of the body. Um, and another, another compound that's useful for that as well is something called modified citrus pectin. It's literally what it sounds like. It's like citrus pectin, which is basically like a a, a polymer of like different um, sugars. It's like a fiber essentially, and they've just modified it to be short enough that it's water soluble and it's able to like go into the bloodstream and binds to things like lead, excess iron, um, and LPS as well. So. These are kind of like some of my go-to supplements that I recommend for people um, if they do anticipate that the die-off is going to be difficult or they're prone to experiencing like nerve pain and inflammation. Um, these things can really just kind of calm the system uh, because really the die-off is not necessary. Like it's actually the body's response to these agents being released uh, but ultimately, it is the body deciding to, like, launch all these, like, cytokine pro-inflammatory molecules in response to the detection of these bacterial fragments. But it doesn't necessarily 
you don't have to like go through this. It, you can train the body to like get it to calm down with supplements, with suppressing the inflammation, etc. Yeah, that was beautiful. I'm so glad you touched on minerals because I've been diving into that heavy like the last year. And I'm like, oh, this is like probably one of the main reasons why everyone's sick is like, yeah, they just don't have minerals. And then you're right. They hold on to all these heavy metals that are very similar on the periodic table. Um, I think the one guy I follow, he calls it like ionic mimicry, where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, they, they you need something. Uh, this actually this lady that I, I uh, interviewed, Eileen Durfee, she's the owner of Creatrix Solutions. And She's really big into HTMAs and balancing out your minerals and she calls it junkyard parts. It's like, you know, you're just using, <laughs> yeah. use, you're going to use like whatever the body needs something there in place of the minerals. And so if you don't have the minerals then you're just going to latch onto whatever's in the environment, but then that shuts down enzymatic function. I mean, you're probably functioning at 10, 20, 30% in comparison. If the mineral is there, you'd, you'd switch all the enzymes back on and you'd be functioning at a much higher level. So I'm glad you touched on that. And, uh, I'm going to maybe try. I haven't tried out a, any of those. The NAC is interesting, too, because I've found benefit with that. It seems like I just had a one girl who did really well off a couple caps of NAC at my last retreat. She started to feel kind of rough like a few hours later. So I gave her a couple caps of that. Two different people, actually. They both felt better. And then I had to give one of them uh, some more like this uh, charcoal style modified citrus pectin binder that I had because she was feeling a little bit rougher than everyone else. But it seemed to work, but I have seen that research that came out lately saying that it might facilitate more of an uptake of mercury and stuff like that from the NAC, which, and then I heard like counter arguments. So, I mean, it's, you know, we don't, we think we know a lot, but we really don't. We're kind of monkey brained fucking <laughs> humans just trying to figure it out. But it's always kind of like, all right, well, maybe I'll take a step back from the NAC because I was actually taking that just regularly in general. So I'm like, I don't know if that might be my best move or not. So Pretty cool. I'm glad that you've kind of figured out some supplementation that'll help some of the die off because that's the thing. And Todd really likes this like powdered zeolite. I think I'm going to buy a bottle and see what it, if it, uh, he gives it to every single person, whether they're, you know, chronically ill or not. He just said mm -hmm. he, he notices that they don't get any headaches. They don't really get any of the die off symptoms. Pretty much anybody, if he gives them like a couple days worth of that zeolite powder. So they just, gives it to them afterwards and then how much ever the dose is uh, for the next few days so that it just keeps like grabbing onto any of those metals or anything that gets circulated around. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have a lot of personal experience with zeolite. I've actually, I was giving it to my dog at one point, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said, there, there's so many like cool ways to experiment. And um, you know, my only concern with, certain binders is you know hyponatremia because if you bind not only to heavy metals but also to electrolytes like calcium and sodium and potassium um combining that with excessive water consumption especially if someone hasn't purged you can get in trickier territory so it you know there is certain precautions you can take to mitigate risks but hyponatremia from you know electrolyte disturbances is still uh, a real risk and you know it's it's largely like most of the harms or incidents associated with cambo are a result of that so while it's fun to be like a biohacker um, it's we still have to be careful with adding these other agents and and messing with chemicals and minerals and uh, you know electronic molecules in the body mm -hmm. 
That's interesting that you talk about someone who didn't purge. Do you think it would be beneficial to give them like some form of like a high sodium kind of electrolyte packet or a scoop of something like that if they didn't purge just to kind of get the salt back in? Yeah, likely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with like every person's different. Like some people, they don't they have enough salt like reserves in their body where it's not an issue. But some people are you know, they have malabsorption because um, their guts doesn't operate super well. Or perhaps this is this is what I see a lot is people will be on these ayahuasca diets, you know, either because they're they're kind of like combining um, their combo and ayahuasca ceremonies in the same weekend or whatever, which I'm not a, a big proponent of. Uh, or they just make the assumption that you should prepare for this experience in the similar traditional way that you prepare for an ayahuasca ceremony, which is not at all true and it's not safe. And so I have like in my prep guide in all caps, bold letters, multiple times, do not abstain from salt, do not drink excessive amounts of water. Um, and, and that's where education really is very important. And like we talked about earlier, combo is still fringe even to the psychedelic community. And they're probably the most adjacent community that is using this medicine. And so big part of my passion is like, how do we educate people so that they realize you can't just translate psychedelic practices to combo because it actually, it can make people die. So that's something I'm trying to do more is like work with the psychedelic community to help them realize that the, the precautions are very different and this is a different medicine you know, it, like you said, it's been lumped in because this is all very fringe. And it's like, okay, this is just the category of a weird, interesting shit that maybe comes from the Amazon. But they're not really in the same category at all, except that they have vomiting involved. They are potentially healing and they come from the same region of the world. But, you know, I could argue the same of binge drinking to some extent. Yeah, I actually have someone who calls me uh, for a combo like every like whatever quarter or whatever, whenever she's doing an ayahuasca ceremony. And I guess I should maybe follow and touch up with her and see if she is like following a low salt diet and just be kind of conscious and aware of that actually. Cause I never really thought about that, but I'd never really asked her about if she's doing a real dieta. And I know some people do the dietas and some people don't. So I know she, she may not be following anything, but more than likely she, she might be actually. Yeah. I've heard of so many different incidents and deaths. Um, where people are on these no salt dietas and then, you know, they do combo like in between ayahuasca ceremonies or like the day of, or like the day after, which I don't get at all. Um, I do think there can be benefit to doing combo like 24 hours before a, an ayahuasca ceremony. I've done that myself. I've done that for others. Um, but if you do that, you're going to have to compromise your salt dieta a little bit just to make sure you're safe because actually ayahuasca itself can also disturb electrolyte balances. I've read papers on that and and I do believe combo itself can disturb electrolyte balances regardless of the water. So you add the element of water, no salt, combo and the ayahuasca which all collectively can create risk of electrolyte disturbance and it's just a recipe for disaster so i tell people if you insist on combining these modalities which maybe you shouldn't but um one i think you should have 
a fairly established relationship with each substance individually first. If this is your first time drinking ayahuasca, don't do combo. If this is your first time doing combo, don't do ayahuasca. Like, just sit and, like, really, like, date each medicine, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And then maybe once you have familiarity, you know yourself, you know these medicines, and you insist on combining them, then I would say the day before your session, you can do combo. Don't overdo it. Eat some salt. Um, I don't think anyone should be doing combo after ayahuasca for at least three days. Um, because I just think it's one, it's disruptive to the ayahuasca integration. And two, I have consistently seen more problems, um, with like, you know, emergencies and things like that or deaths when ayahuasca is drank first and then they're doing combo after. Like you're exhausted. You just went through this experience. You know, your neurotransmitters were firing all night long, which does use things like sodium and calcium to fire neurons, which are electrolytes. So you're already going to be in a pretty exhausted, depleted, imbalanced, sleep-deprived state. And why beat the shit out of yourself with combo after that? Like, I really don't see the benefit. Why don't you, why don't you sit with your experience that you had on ayahuasca for a bit and then if you really need to, do combo like four days later after you're like reintroducing salt to your diet. Um, so that's my opinion. Um, you know, I see a lot of people stacking medicines these days. Other people also insist that combo before bufo is really wonderful. I don't have a lot of experience in that and I can't speak that much on it. Um, but I know that, you know, it's considered sort of more uh, popular knowledge lately that doing bufo and then combo um, can be very potentially dangerous and you know why is it like the, the order matters I don't know um, some people say that if you do combo before bufo it makes the experience smoother um, but yeah, it's like we're just in wild, wild west with these medicines and there's a lot of exploration going on and we're all guinea pigs here. And unfortunately, people will get hurt. People are getting hurt. And there's kind of just no way around that um, other than, I guess, sharing our experiences, pooling together knowledge and experience to create standardized safety practices and, and educational access so that people know that these things probably shouldn't be done in these ways and, and the risk is not worth whatever added perceived benefit people think they're getting. I personally just don't think it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. I actually had some people that were telling me like, oh, you should do combo and like the same, like the morning of like you're doing a mushroom ceremony. And when I did that, I was like, this feels like a lot. This feels like I was kind of tired going into the mushrooms and I really didn't feel like I got more benefit. I felt more tired, really. I just yeah. was like, I'm a little wore out. I'm like, I don't, I've never really stacked anything else again. I only did it one time and was like, no, nah, this is just a lot going on. And I don't really, I didn't see the benefit in it at all. I just almost didn't even want to do the mushrooms. I was like, uh. I was like, I don't like, I just didn't even feel really like, you know, and I like to be like a total, like, fuck yeah, when I'm about to do a ceremony. Like, I don't want to feel like a little like, ah, oh, like I'm forcing it. Like, I want to be fully embodied in it. And that was like the one time I did that. And I was like, nah, I won't do that again. So I, I'm with you. I don't think you need to stack much. 
Yeah. You know, I think there's this like mental disease that I'm witnessing in the movement of, of psychedelia and medicine work. And again, it's like people have this like traumatized nervous system and they are attracted to these intense sort of self-abusive experiences because they feel familiar and that feels safe and that feels like what, th what they want. Um, which I, I think is actually like unhealthy a lot of times. Like there's a time and a place to like challenge yourself and do something, but I just don't, I just don't really see the value of putting yourself through such harrowing experiences and medicine work. I think it robs you of the opportunity to receive like the softness, which is where a lot of the gifts are. So I'm not a fan of stacking things. I'm not a fan of beating the shit out of yourself. I think um, some people feel that they have to suffer to deserve healing. And that's something that I was bought into for a long time. And I had a lot of intense experiences where I hurt myself. I harmed myself by falling into these traps of, of feeling this way. And so I really just want to like continue to like spread the message that you don't have to suffer to deserve your healing. There can be softness. It can be fun. It can be enjoyable. It can be euphoric and you don't get more out of doing more. You really don't. And actually it might be the opposite. You might get less because you are completely overwhelmed. It's brutal. You're exhausted. You can't show up and be present when you're slammed face first into the ground. So anyways, end rant. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And that's awesome. I'm glad we at least touched on that for a little bit. I know that we're getting a little long in the tooth here, but I actually have one more subject uh, that I have to ask you before you go, since you've actually spent quite a bit of time with the tribes. What's your thoughts around like sustainability and if the frogs, frogs are harmed in any way? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's an important topic and I'm glad you asked. And, you know, the things I say might not be popular. Um, so yeah, I've spent time down there and I've seen with my own eyes, um, what the state of the frogs are and, and the whole harvesting process and everything. And the truth is, I think that we are hitting a point now that the demand is outpacing the supply. And I think that we're starting to hit that critical threshold and the problem is only going to get worse. And I do think that the frogs, uh, in some regions are over harvested. I've seen, I've seen signs of stress, um, on the frogs, like where they'll get like white bits on their nose, which indicates that they're, they're not doing well. Um, and often that can be a result of being over harvested. Um, I've also seen that, you know, about maybe 30 to 40, 50% of the frogs that you catch don't have secretion to give um and you know the hot topic of like is combo ethical i'm not gonna lie like it's stressful for them they don't enjoy being tied up they don't enjoy being scraped you know and having the, the medicine scraped off of them um you know you part of how they know that a frog has been recently harvested from is they have scars they have scars on their wrists from the rope and they have scars on their sides and stuff from the scraping of the stick 
Um, and then, you know, once those scars are gone and absent, they assume that the frog has either never been milked or it's had enough time to, for its skin to heal, in, indicating it's had some recovery time. Um, do I think it's, like, absolutely torturous to them? Not necessarily. Like, you know, I think as human beings, we put ourselves through equally stressful experiences voluntarily. You know, we, like, we go to the DMV, we have our shitty jobs, um, we sit in traffic, like, you know, I don't, I don't know that that brief moment of stress that they're experiencing is cruel. I wouldn't use the word cruel, but it's uncomfortable and they don't like it. And they kind of, you know, you can tell they like, they close their eyes and kind of just like go into this meditative state where they're like just disassociating while you're doing it, which I find really interesting because I'm like, are they just trying to like surrender to like this thing that's happening to them or are they going into some weird like spiritual transcendental frog spirit state or what um and you know they're released after and they're fine and they go about their their day but we do need to be careful because um eventually we'll get to a point where like they they can't just keep creating secretion it takes resources it takes fuel and food and time um, for them to create it and you know every time they're milked it means that they're vulnerable to getting attacked by predators because they don't really have their own arsenal of protection anymore um, what I think is potentially some solutions to this um, yes I think like reserves and and preserving the rainforest that's honestly the first thing that needs to happen because the more you like cut down the rainforest the worse the problem is I think also um, being mindful of how much medicine we use and not doing like, you know, 20 points at a time, but but working with more conservative doses, realizing that it's a very precious resource that comes from an animal that has a nervous system. Um, and also personally, I think that there is a lot of space for a synthetic to be created. Now, there's challenges with that. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, for a lot of people, they'll feel that that deprives someone of the spiritual connection to a substance that comes from this animal that lives in the jungle and is part of this complex ecosystem. And there's like all this spirituality in that, which is valid. However, not everyone who does combo cares about if it's from a frog or not, or, or if there's a spiritual element some people just want to get better from their disease, and that is completely valid, uh, and they deserve that. And so if something can be created that satisfies the outcome that Cambo provides in a way that takes pressure off of the frogs and ultimately gives people more access to a treatment that is um healthy and like not detrimental for them to go to and is very effective. I personally think that there's a case for that. Um, and that's, you know, part of what we're kind of exploring at UCSD is like, could we reverse engineer something that um, creates more access that is standardizable, that can go through a drug development model um, in a way that makes it accessible for people that have no interest in doing a ceremony you know, with some like random Joe Schmo who did a four day training and got a stick off the internet or whatever. Uh, so I do 
think that that could potentially provide um, a lot of relief. But at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. And it's, it's, um, there's more people that need combo than there is combo. And, um, you know, that's the same problems we have with ayahuasca, with iboga, with a lot of these medicines. So if we could figure out ways to sustainably cultivate things that, you know, either the plant themselves or the animal themselves or a substitute that is, you know, a, a good enough compromise, I think that's the route forward. Interesting perspective. And I've listened to you on some older podcasts and it's a different perspective. So I'm glad that you've kind of evolved on that. Cause I, I do always wonder like at what point will maybe I have to pump the brakes on, on even serving the medicine for maybe, a, maybe even it's just for a short period of time, but it's also like if, you know, I'm one person, if I pump the brakes, that doesn't mean everyone else is. So how would we know? Do you think we'll, we'll know? I always thought this was my, at least my thought process on it. Like if these tribes use the sticks as their medicine and their healing, wouldn't we start to get like a slower supply? Or do you think that um, because they would want to kind of hold it on for themselves, right? Because that's like their spirituality and their healing. Or do you think that the money outweighs that and they would rather just sell it so that they have money coming into the tribe? I think that they would rather sell it. Um, when it comes oh, wow. down to it, they're, they're struggling and, and they, you know, there's this like misconception that like they they want to live in this like pristine natural environment. They want Coca-Cola, they want cell phones, they want shoes, like they want all the amenities that that other humans have and it's really just kind of about, you know, where they're at and and the um the privileges that, you know, some populations have gotten versus others and you know, part of it, I think, is also um, if we can provide these indigenous communities with alternative income sources that's not from harvesting the medicine, then that can help. Um, and that's part of what I've been doing is like, you know, bringing groups down there and bringing a bunch of resources to them, buying them materials for their villages, buying them clothes and shoes and cooking ware and solar lights and water filtration systems while also bringing them financial like like you know hordes of money that they can decide how to allocate towards building a school for their children or whatever they want to do um that way they don't have to you know sell a bunch of sticks of medicine to make that same amount of money like it would take them hundreds of sticks to replicate the same amount of value that we bring just by bringing a group of nine practitioners that want to like be in the jungle and and be a part of this cultural um immersion and exchange with them and learn from them so um yeah it's a very complex issue around like decolonization and sustainability and um you know preservation of their culture and ethics and and innovation of medicine it's like there's a lot going on and it's it's really hard to balance it all um so yeah i i, I don't know what's the right answer but um i just try to continue to um do things out of out of love and support um and fairness in all ways 
Wow, that's amazing and uh, keep me in the loop. I want to know as this, if sustainability gets to be a little questionable because I, I, I would feel a little bit out of my uh, morals if I was still probably serving the medicine and it was like really damaging something. I feel like what I would just have to just go with the whole health coaching or whatever, like more supplementation and, you know, and, and that would suck. But I, I had a feeling it's like how many frogs can there be as there starts to be 7 billion people trying to get access to, to the medicine yeah. because they have some autoimmune condition or this or that. So I, and I knew you had been down there quite a bit. So I definitely wanted you to touch on that. Yeah. And the, the truth is the, the indigenous people will know before anyone else, because they live on that land. They, they spend time with those frogs. They know their patterns. They know their behavior. They see them reproduce and lay eggs and stuff. So they are the first line of, of really evaluating the health of the populations of the frogs. And luckily there are, you know, um, groups and, and tribes that really do care and are creating preserves and, you know, planting trees that they know the frogs like, creating ponds on their property that act as these, you know, breeding uh, sanctuaries and stuff for them. So there's good stuff happening. Um yeah, it's important for us to pay attention and to be realistic and honest about where this medicine comes from um, and how precious it is. And um, I was going to say something else, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. That was great. So uh, one final question is what, what do you see has been most important or what are you finding really interesting with your research over there that you've been doing? Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, so I'm like halfway through this study as far as enrolling people, and I haven't actually looked at any of the results yet. I'm I'm kind of waiting on my statistician to help me with that. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have any like groundbreaking findings yet, um, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to start uh, preliminarily sharing some of the results that we're seeing with the before and after changes in things like mood and pain and fatigue and emotional wellness, life satisfaction, stuff like that. So sorry, I don't have an update for you at the moment, but um, probably in the next month, I'll um, at least see some of what the trend looks like. Awesome. That's amazing. And I'll be uh, interested to maybe have you back on as you maybe publish some more papers or as uh, new, whatever, new sustainability issues come out, whatever it may be that uh, we find interesting or needs to be maybe made public a little bit, we can kind of maybe have you on periodically to talk about some of that stuff. Um, yeah, would would be my pleasure. I love to nerd out about combo, obviously. So um, anytime. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation and the, um, the importance of it and also just the, the fun. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.